Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, December 1st, 2023. I'm Brian Pietrangelo, and welcome to the podcast. We were off last week celebrating Thanksgiving with our families, so we hope that you had a great opportunity to spend the same time with your families and friends during the Thanksgiving break. With me today, I'd like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to share their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic and market news, we have four economic releases we want to share with you for the week to give you a pulse on what's happening in the overall economy. So let's start with the third quarter gross domestic product report or GDP report that came out this week as the second estimate for the quarter, which showed a 5.2% overall increase in real GDP for the quarter on an annualized basis. Now this went up from the advance estimate we got last month at 4.9%. So generally speaking, you would think that this is good news. However, if you look at some of the underlying numbers, the revision upward occurred because of revisions to the overall pulse of government spending and specifically state and local government spending that had increased. On the other side of the equation, we see the revision for overall consumer spending actually was revised downward, indicating we're seeing some slowing in the quarter for overall consumer spending. Second, and pairing nicely with that report on GDP, we also had the Federal Reserve's report known as the Beige Book for overall economic activity across the 12 districts in the nation. And the report was mixed, showing that basically four districts reported modest growth in economic activity, two indicated conditions were flat to slightly down, and six or half noted there were slight declines in overall activity. And third, just yesterday, the report came out for overall consumer spending and personal income outlays for the month of October, which had a consistent theme of slowing, where we actually see that personal consumption's expenditures for the month of October showed a 0.2% increase, which was good because it was still positive, but it is much less than the reports for August and September, again, indicating slowing as we go into the fourth quarter. Also yesterday, within the same report, The fourth item to share with you is the overall personal consumption's expenditures measure of inflation. That's important because it is the Fed preferred measure of looking at inflation, and it showed a decrease in the overall year-over-year growth in terms of inflation from 3.4% in September down to 3.0% in the month of October. And if you exclude the volatile food and energy, components known as core PCE, we saw the number drop from 3.7% in September to 3.5% in October. So this sets up the opportunity as we look into the December Federal Reserve meeting that we are seeing inflation continue to slow. And finally, on a sad note, one of the longest legends of investing passed away this week, Charlie Munger of Berkshire Hathaway. And so we'll ask our panel their thoughts on what a tremendous legend Charlie was. So George, let's turn to you for your thoughts this week's economic data and anything else you're seeing in terms of the economy, George. 
Well, I think the the uh, I guess the word of the week, Brian, would be one of disinflation. We've talked a lot about inflation over the past several months, if years not, uh, if not for years, but I think disinflation probably seems to be the new word of the day. And for those of people that are maybe unfamiliar or not as familiar with disinflation, it's basically going to reference the fact that prices are rising, but they're rising at a slower pace. And uh, and I think that's kind of the takeaway from the week that I think we've now probably kind of pivoted pretty firmly to the camp of disinflation. Of course, you know, there are going to be pockets here and there of of other kinds of inflation. But overall, you mentioned the fact that that uh, PCE, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, has flowed pretty much um, in the past couple months. And if you look at it year over year, month over month, you, know, you can kind of continue to see some, some, some continuing to slow down there as well. You know, people kind of parse out numbers all kinds of different ways to kind of look at other things as well. Uh, year over year, I guess, uh, it kind of maybe one thing that I would focus on is the year over year numbers are still kind of a bit higher than what the Fed would like to be at three and a half percent roughly. But you know, we're getting kind of you know some more signs that things are slowing there too. Home prices have also um, fallen quite quite notably, despite the fact that there's been you know inventory issues and things like that. Uh, people, it's, it's well documented people are having a hard time finding a house and those type of things, which suggest that prices should be rising all equal. But uh, home prices fell this past week, which also grabs some attention also. So I think you know um, it is kind of setting up an issue backdrop now that um, there are more and more people thinking that the Fed will start cutting rates, not so much because the economy is weakening, but rather maybe just kind of putting some insurance policy back into um, uh, into, into the, the tank, so to speak, so that they could use um, kind of further stimulus if needed to try and keep the economy from really rolling over in a big way. But I think the other thing that we can kind of look at this past week, Brian, is that consumer spending you know, it did rise a bit faster than people thought, I think maybe a tenth of percent faster, um, but it slowed down quite notably there too, in the sense that the prior month, I think spending was up seven tenths of 1%. This past reading was up two tenths of 1%. So you go down from seven tenths to two tenths, uh, suggests that things are slowing pretty materially. Maybe, I don't know, Brian, maybe there's a phenomenon of the Taylor Swift um, tour kind of ending here in North America and moving overseas. And, you know, it's kind of checking this morning, she's not back here in the country into the States until sometime the end of next year. So. We'll have to pay attention to that. Maybe she'll be back on tour sometime in the spring and that could provide some boost to the economy uh, in the other part of next year. Otherwise, I think the consumer seems like they're they're finally kind of slowing things down a little bit. And then I think the bigger story also this week is the fact that the markets have uh, have kind of rejoiced this slowdown, at least for now. I mean, it seems at some point uh, bad news might be good news um, for now anyway, but maybe bad news is bad news if things slow down in a material way. So Equity markets, as you kind of close out the month of October, I'm sorry, they close out the month of November, rather, were pretty strong across the board. Um, I'd be curious to get Rajiv's take on the, on the bond market, because I think I read something this morning that suggested that the bond market had its best monthly gains in you know, almost 30 years, uh, which kind of surprised me. But still, it kind of shows you this, how much uh, how much convexity there is in the bond market oh, when, people start, when people start talking about slowing economic data. Equities are pretty strong as well. I think equity across the board up, you know, eight or nine percent, which is really by all counts a pretty strong year, let alone a month. So I guess, Steve, you know, my, my first question goes to you in terms of the equity market. What do you make of that this morning? And uh, what are your thoughts going forward for the rest of the year? Well, stocks responded to what happened during the month of November, George. And what happened during the month of November was we saw the largest single financial easing in terms of financial conditions in the last four decades. Let that sink in for a minute. The last, the, the, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. Stocks were up, rates were down, the dollar was weaker and credit was tighter. So, you know, it shouldn't really surprise us in that type of an environment when you get that big of a magnitude of easing 
in terms of financial conditions that we had the ripper of a month that we did for stocks. You put that together with the fact that we were entering a seasonally strong period of the year, which obviously played out again. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we've, we we're in a good place as we head into December. Now, the question that investors are asking today is how much good news was pulled forward from December into the month of November? Because we know December typically is a pretty decent month for the markets as well. Um, I, I think that there has been a significant amount of good news pulled forward, but that doesn't mean that we won't continue to have a modest bias to the upside into year end. Uh, we've got a ton of momentum behind us right now. It's really hard to see what's going to derail the market between now and year end. Um, you know, if you look at the typical seasonal pattern, you're up for a few days in the beginning of the month, weak in the middle, and then strong in the end. Um, so a bit of a meandering path higher over the typical December period. I see no reason why we won't kind of play that out exactly the same way again. You know, the market was up almost every day during the month of November. We were up 16 of the 21 trading days. Um, so clearly best month of the year, um, <laughs> that doesn't say anything about the 11% rally that we had in the NASDAQ 100 index over the same period of time. So again, the mega caps continued to, to show the way. So at the same time, we said we had a lot of great news in the equity market, uh, Rajiv, we had a pretty strong bond market, as Steve mentioned as well, with the fact that conditions have eased a lot, meaning that rates have come back down uh, quite notably in the past few weeks or so. Um, there were a lot of Fed uh, officials also speaking this week that suggested that maybe things are done. In other words, we've been talking about this a while, but maybe they're done kind of raising rates. But what was your take on the week in the month of November itself as well? Uh, well, yes, George, it was quite a November uh, and it continues. I mean, we saw the PC inflation data that you mentioned, uh, and that was kind of a modestly dovish piece of data. Uh, and you would expect there to be a rally in the bond market yesterday on that data. Uh, I mean, we saw core inflation pretty much in line with market expectations and Overall data was a tick lower uh, than the market consensus, but we didn't really see that rally yesterday. It was somewhat muted in the bond market yesterday, and a lot of that has to do with what we talked about right here. We've had quite a November, but a huge rally in the bond market. Uh, we haven't seen that kind of record month uh, for decades, as you mentioned, George, and these are the best returns that we've seen. And uh, it, it really, you know, we were all poised to have a negative return for the aggregate uh, index for uh for the year and now we're, we're on the positive side again. So that, that feels really good for the bond market. So I think maybe some of the inflation data, you know, maybe it was the month end, maybe we didn't have, uh, it was kind of like the market taking a little bit of a breather after a, a pretty significant rally in, um, in November. But what I thought was really interesting is uh, that inflation reading at 3.5% is right on target with the Fed's summary of economic projections that they released back in December, 2022. They predicted the 3.5% and it was right on that nail. So. That was pretty interesting. But uh, where does all this really put the Fed? We've got a December 13th FOMC meeting coming up. Is there going to be another rate hike? In our opinion, the Fed is done. We don't think there's going to be another rate hike in December. Market expectations are also saying that there's going to be a pause for the December FOMC meeting. A rate hike for December's meeting is pretty much off the table if you look at probabilities, which are around 2% for a rate hike right now. And these expectations, along with some dovish Fed speak that we heard this week, really led to this sustained rally in the bond market. Uh, specifically, we heard from Fed Reserve Governor uh, Chris Waller, who made a speech this week titled, Something Appears to Be Giving. And in that speech, he said that even though inflation remains outside of their 2% uh, target that the Fed has set for themselves, 
he's confident that uh, policy is currently well positioned to slow the economy down and get to that 2% inflation target. This is coming from a voting member and someone who has been somewhat uh, viewed as a hawk pretty much throughout the entire rate hiking campaign. So when he comes out and makes this statement, the market reacted very swiftly to it. Uh, you saw the 10-year Treasury uh, yield drop all the way down to 4.25%. Now, if you recall the 10-year Treasury note, we were at 5.02% just back on October 23rd. We touched that point, and then we rallied after that. So we've come a long way, and, and there are other factors to think about here. Why are we rallying so much uh, across the yield curve? Uh, there's a couple of things going on here that, that should be noted as well. Uh, hedge funds, they had all these steepener trades on. Um, they put these extreme trades on, short positions. They were shorting government bonds. Now they're kind of being forced to bail out those bets. So that could have also added uh, to some more, some more of this movement that we've seen across the yield curve. We also had $139 billion in Treasury coupon supply that hit the market. That's out of the way now. That's in the rearview mirror. And uh, <clears throat> there's been a slowdown in corporate bond sales as well. So all of this has worked to move yields lower across the yield curve. And this has worked really well for Treasuries, uh, specifically the bull steepener trade. We did hear from some other Fed members this week that are kind of trying to reel back the market. They're kind of trying to say, hey, we're not talking about rate cuts right now. There's a lot of enthusiasm. Let's take a little bit of that away. We had Fed member Daly and Williams both come out and say that we need to be restricted for quite some time. They both pointed to another rate hike still being on the table. But uh, right now, where we are right now, I would anticipate the tenure to fluctuate between four and a quarter and 4.75%. Today is going to be another big day for, for the markets. We've got Fed Chair Powell himself will come out with two opportunities to speak to the market. Uh, I think he's going to come and reiterate that rate cuts are not on the Fed's agenda at the moment. So we're going to probably see some volatility after that. And all of this uh, right in line with the ISM data that we just saw hit the wire. Uh, and that's bringing two-year uh, yields down again, came in unchanged. Let's see if that rally continues before Powell's uh, comments later today. A great update, Rajiv, as well as Steve, in terms of your thoughts on the stock and bond markets. Let's turn back to George really quickly. We had some sad news this week with the passing of the legendary investor, Charlie Munger, from Berkshire Hathaway. And so let's give some thoughts, George, on, on what you think, and, and maybe also Steve as well. Yeah, sure, Brian. I mean, I think uh, for those who don't know him, I mean, Charlie Munger was a, a pretty influential guy, influential guy in the last 60 years or so uh, with inside the stock market. He really, I guess, more officially was known as Warren Buffett's right-hand man and his key business partner. But, you know, much more than that, I think he was really involved in so many wonderful things and really kind of shed light in many different areas. You know, and I think that um, if you want to pay, read a really great piece, there's a, a really wonderful story written in the Wall Street Journal by Jason Twyley, who talks about the man's life and kind of what he um, what he accomplished, but also more importantly, his outlook on life and how he shared that with so many people with others. Um, I unfortunately never had a chance to meet uh, Charlie. I did have a chance to meet Warren on a couple of occasions, but you know, like like Warren, I think Charlie was really a person who was really keen and really passionate about uh, getting rich. Not for the sake of getting rich, though, but he often talked about the fact that really, you know, when you accumulate wealth, whatever it happens to be. You, the, the point of that was really to kind of develop your own sense of independence, and I think that's one thing that he was also really keen on that allowed you to kind of think more independently uh, as you accumulated wealth, which I think is something that anybody could probably uh, relate to. He also, I think, was pretty instrumental in really kind of shaping Warren Buffett's uh, approach to investing. You know, when he bet, when, when Warren started out, he was really focused on, as they kind of, kind of talk about, cigar butt businesses, meaning companies that really were kind of really down in the luck, so to speak, and really kind of deep value companies. What, what Charlie did was really kind of kind of turn the framework around to suggest that maybe you, instead of buying 
really kind of crappy businesses at, uh, at great prices, the idea is to find really great business at a fair price. And that was really kind of a, a really kind of seminal moment in terms of the way that Warren Buffett himself invested. So I think that needs to be acknowledged too. And then thirdly, the thing that I really kind of really admired about Charlie was his idea to think about things in different ways. And one of which is his favorite, his favorite thing was that you, you should actually knowing what you don't know is more useful than being brilliant, which I think was a really interesting thing to think about as well. So I guess, Steve, you know, you're, you're kind of officially our oracle of Ann Arbor, I guess. And, you know, as we think about the year ahead, you know, I think it's probably important to kind of think about your outlook for, you know, the market and kind of what you see going on uh, in the next 12 months, if you don't mind. Well, you know, when you take a look at the forward view, George, I mean, I think that the real question is, <clears throat> do we get a, a soft landing or do we get this uh, recession scenario that, that people have posited for multiple years? And the, uh, the other question is, do we, or do we get a reacceleration of growth? Um, and depending on which one of those scenarios is most closely fit for the template for the year, um, I think that, that should tell the tale. And when you take a look at the range of outcomes, you know, the range of outcomes, if you have that bull scenario, you could be talking 5,000 in a new all-time high for the market. If you get the recession scenario, you could be looking at a 20% a, a decline or so for the market. Um, and, you know, I think that our scenario right now, we think is a base case is for the, for the market to continue to muddle through and to head toward 4,700, uh, which doesn't seem like a lot, uh, given the, the move that we've had this year, but you know, the, the move this year really was driven by those mega cap tech names. Um, and, and it's going to be hard for those to replicate the exact same kind of performance. And sometimes stocks just have to mark time. And, you know, we think that really the most likely outcome, assuming that we hit a soft landing scenario, is that markets mark time next year. But you know what? That means that there's probably going to be a lot of opportunity underneath those mega cap seven to try to generate returns. So we think it'll be an interesting year for the markets, no doubt, um, if not more of a muddle through one. And in closing, if you want to hear more, uh, just a reminder for those that you are listening in our audience, we've got our national client call where we're going to talk about our 2024 outlook with everybody on the podcast today that will be representing our outlook for 2024. So with that, George, you want to have any more comments? It is Wednesday, December 6th in terms of that date. If you don't have a registration, reach out to your financial advisor to be able to get one. But other than that, George, if you have any closing comments, we'd love to hear them. Well, we'll see everybody on Wednesday. I hope Brian to talk about our outlook. I think Steve summed it pretty well. You know, I think there are some things to be optimistic about in your head. Probably some causes for concern. And I think we'll probably say more about that on Wednesday. But overall, I think the, the muddle through environment probably is the one that we're going to probably maintain. You know, we kind of had a summer view uh, this year as well as we came into 2023, a bit of more a muted outlook. And curiously, you know, more people were pessimistic at the beginning of this year. And now there seems to be a fair amount of optimism. And Rajiv talked about that as well with respect to interest rate cuts and so forth. So I think it'll be a nuanced year for sure. And uh, with that, we'll probably have to be very attentive to all the things that happen and take place on a week-by-week -week basis as we do on this podcast and in other places too. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Stephen, Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, Past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. 
The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments in insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decision. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.